name is Katie Moran, and I serve as the director of Chi Alpha here at JMU. And I am so, um, <laughs> uh, and man, it is incredible to see what God will do with your yes. So if your yes is going to fall retreat, if your yes is doing campus ministry, if your yes is pioneering a new ministry like we did four years ago, uh, you just never know where God's going to take you. But I do know that with God, you're going to be on the adventure of a lifetime. So tonight, I want to introduce you first to my children. I think I have a slide. Josh talked about them last week, but I was like trying to think if he had a picture. I don't remember if he did. So here are some first day of school pictures. I know you guys get to, did some first day of class pictures a couple weeks ago on the quad. We did some on our front porch. Esther refused. That's why I have a different picture of her. Esther did go to kindergarten. You can see that she did, in fact, go. Uh, but <laughs> she's with Judah right there in the hallway, but she refused a picture. And when I was like, hey, what do you want your future job to be? She was like, what? And I was like, you're right. Why am I asking you this? This is a crazy question. But you can see Emma right here. This is great. They're like labeled. So you, I don't even need to tell you their names because they're already right there. But uh, Emma says that her future job she wants to have is Chi Alpha Missionary. Aww. You guys. So sweet. Judah is going to set, or he's in second grade, and his was, oh, I remember. I'm like, it's kind of fuzzy. Video game engineer. Right? I think that's how he's trying to get more screen time. He's like, Mom, it's for my future job. <laughs> Doing some research. And then Levi uh, is in fourth grade, and he actually added one to this after the picture, but he said wildlife photographer, which, as Josh said, he found out he could get paid for it and was really excited because he was going to live off the land, like Taryn thought she was going to have to. Um, but he also added pro golf player. He is really into golf. So if you want to learn how to play golf, just hang out with Levi. He will definitely teach you how to play golf. Um, and then Esther just went to kindergarten, and it is so exciting. But it is funny that we ask them, like, what job do you want to have when you're older? Um, and I'm really specific to not say some of these signs, and I don't judge you, moms on Instagram, if you did this. Uh, but sometimes we ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? right but I want my kids to be secure in their identity of God right with God I want my kids to be human beings that are seeking after the Lord and what they do might look different in each season because it's not what we do that defines us right and so I am trying to instill that in my kids in an early age which is why it says future job last year it said what do you want to see when you grow up um, and so but it is funny I remember when I was a kid I wanted to be a teacher. That's what I wanted to do as a job when I grew up. Uh, what about you guys? What did you want to do when you were young? When you were holding these pictures up in elementary school, what was your goal? You can just shout it out if you remember. Teacher. Teacher. Vet. Yes. A princess. Absolutely. Glenda, your dreams are coming true. <laughs> Let's go. To make room and make way for more. Yeah, pro sports players are often. Yeah, I definitely wanted, I would always say teacher. Like, as far as I can remember, I always said teacher. When I went into college, I went to the University of Virginia, and I entered there in 2004 when you guys were babies. And when I, in 2004, 
Hush, that is not kind to say that you were a toddler. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just turned 36, owning it. Uh, the 30s are great, I have to say, my favorite decade yet. But when I was in my freshman, my first year in college, I was gonna apply to the Curry School of Education at UVA, and then I didn't. Word. <laughs> I was like, I have always said I was gonna, I was gonna be a teacher. And then I was like, actually, maybe I won't be a teacher. And then I had this crisis of, but what am I gonna do? Who am I, right? I've always had my mind made up. I've always had this identity. I'm gonna be a teacher, I'm gonna be a teacher. I, you know, my elective classes in high school were like aimed towards that. And I was like, I'm gonna be a teacher. And then my freshman year, I was like, actually, maybe I don't wanna be a teacher, but what do I do? And there was this crisis, right? Somebody just said, that's me. I'm like, yeah. And then, so I became a Spanish and psychology major, double major. And then later on, I was like, wait, I don't wanna do that. But wait, who am I? What am I, what am I doing? But this is college, right? College is a time to figure things out. Figure out who am I, right? And it's hard when you've worked so long and you're like, you've had this goal in mind, you've had this expectation, right? You're like, this is who I am, this is who I am. And then college happens and you're like, wait, who am I? Who am I again? The summer before my fourth year, in college, I went through a really hard breakup, and I realized my identity was so wrapped up in that relationship, and I was like, wait, who am I? Again, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, there was a point at which I said, who am I? And there have been points since then. When I had only two kids, and they were a baby and a toddler, I was part-time with Chi Alpha, and I remember going through this season where I was like, only known in my, by my relationship to someone else. I was either Emma's mom from preschool or I was Josh's wife at Chi Alpha. And I remember being like, man, am I anyone if nobody knows who I am? Am I less valuable because I don't have a title? Like, who am I? And many of you have probably asked this question, who am I? And tonight I have another question for you. Who answers that question for you? Or what answers that question for you? Is it our relationships to people? Is it our success? Is it our family of origin? Is it our emotions, our body's feelings, our major, our title at a job after college? Is it ourselves? Who gets to answer the question of who am I? Well, tonight, I love our passage because it speaks to this very question. Who am I? Who are we? And we're going to see that God gives us the answer. So tonight I encourage you to open yourself up to what God might speak into your life tonight. I encourage you tonight to let God answer that question. 
So you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 again. So Genesis 1 is at the very beginning of the Bible. It's one of your first few pages. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and Sam will run and grab you a Bible from the welcome table. Thanks, Sam. And you can actually keep this Bible if you don't like actually have one. Um, or if you just want to use it tonight, that's fine also, but it can be a gift for us. So we're going to be in Genesis 1. It's at the very beginning of the Bible. Very beginning of the book. Let's see what page it is. Probably. Mine doesn't even have a page number. It's page 1. Genesis 1. So while you're turning there, uh, last week Josh was giving the word and He introduced us to our sermon series for this semester, which is exploring the book of Genesis. We're seeing what is God's intent for the world and how has that come to fruition. We're exploring the beginning of the story of scripture. And it's not just a fairy tale story, it's actually our story. And so lean in tonight and see what the Lord might say about who we are. The very first verse Josh started with last week had four key words, and if you're at Genesis 1-1, you can read them. It is this, in the beginning, God, right? Last week we saw how God separated the waters in the sky, brought order to chaos. We see God make habitats sustainable, and then we see God fill those habitats. But what does that have to do with us and who we are? We saw last week how powerful God is, how incredible God is, how majestic God is, how organized God is and wise. But what does that have to do with us? Maybe some of you have believed in a higher being, such as God, but you can't imagine a God like that caring about who you are. Maybe that's you tonight. In the book of Psalms in scripture, There's, in Psalm 8, it says, it basically recounts the story of Scripture. God created all these things. God is majestic. God is amazing. And then the person who's writing it says this in Psalm 8, verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. So the psalmist asks here, what are we? And we ask, who are we? Why is God caring for us? Why is God mindful of us? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. And we're going to find out the answer. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. And God saw that it was good. He had just finished creating. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So why does God care about us? Why is God mindful of us? It's because we are God's people, and we are the Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. Nothing else that God creates does he do this with. Nothing else does he give his image to. No one else. 
except for humanity. Turn to the people next to you and say, you are made in the image of God. And then say, you look good. <laughs> Use you guys. You guys look good. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And that is what we are going to be unpacking tonight. Because that is who we are. We are people who are created by God, created on purpose, created with purpose. Okay? We're created by God on purpose, with purpose. So as we are reading the Bible, and as you're reading the Bible tonight, at core group, in your daily time of intaking scripture, right, and study of scripture, as we're reading the Bible, it's important for us to remember that the Bible is written for us, but the specific scriptures we read are sometimes not written to us, right? We were not the original hearers. So sometimes, a lot, all the time, it's important to go back and say, what did this mean to the original hearers? How did they hear that you are made in the image of God? So the people group that this is written to, the original hearers, they lived in the ancient Near East. And in the ancient Near East, there were kingdoms. And the king was known as the image of little g God, whatever gods they served in that area, the king was known as the image of that god. Isn't that cool? So the kings would have statues put up of themselves to remind the people of the gods that they served. So the kings were to be the representative of whatever god that that area served, and they would make statues and idols. Image and idol are kind of exchangeable. And that is, the, that is what would first come to mind for these original hearers of the word. So the gods were chosen based on their worthiness, or the kings were chosen to represent the god. One king chosen to represent one god. And they were chosen based on their worthiness, based on their pedigree, based on their wealth, um, and their lineage, and then they're appointed to rule over the other people. And it was just one person to rule all of the other people. And with that, we have our first hot take of the night. And there are a lot of hot takes in scripture. Things that to the original hearers would have been like, what? So stay tuned for more of those through Genesis. But the first one tonight is this that in a place where only the most prestigious, only the, only the people with the greatest pedigree, the people with the most money and power, only those, that one person was determined to be king and deemed worthy of that title, God comes and says, first of all, there's one God. This is a polytheistic culture. So first of all, there's actually only one God. I'm God. I created everything, right? He just gave us kind of like his resume. <laughs> I created this, I created this, like what did you do? Uh, and so he says, first of all, there's one God. And second of all, I have chosen to create all people to be my image on the earth. Think about that for a second. Do you see how that would have been crazy to think about? That God would choose 
all people to be his image bearers on the earth. Not choosing just the people who got the highest score, wore the right clothes, who were deemed worthy, but this one God that chose all people, every person, the person that you see in the mirror every morning, the person that is your roommate, the person in another country, the person down the street, the person in your family, every person is made to bear the image of God. And what did people do to earn this ability? Nothing. It was a gift from God. Later, when God is instructing the people how to follow him in the book of Exodus, the next book of the Bible, he gives them a list of 10 guidelines to live by. He says, hey, I've created you. I know best how you're going to thrive, how you're going to live. And one of those said, don't make any images of God. Don't make any statues or idols of God. And do you know why that is? We aren't supposed to make images of God. We aren't supposed to make images of God. We are supposed to be the image of God. So what does that mean, the image of God? Well, let's continue reading and find out. Chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, the human beings made in God's image, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. This is the first time God says very good. All the other times he just said good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. So we have three implications tonight of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Number one, we see that if we're made in the image of God, we look to see what does God do, and then what does he give us power to do. The first thing is to work. You're all like, what? I thought that was the fall. I thought that was like bad news. No, we're created to work. We see that God creates. God brings order to chaos. God sustains and cultivates and makes better, right? God gives life. So God works, and then he gives people the authority to rule over the earth. So we have God as the ultimate ruler, and then God says, I'm going to make you people in my image, and you're going to be my image on earth, and you're going to do what I have done. You're going to rule over the earth. That means you're going to care for the earth. You're going to sustain it. You're going to make it better. You're going to create amazing buildings like this one. You're going to be teachers and teach and cultivate minds. You're going to create art. You're going to heal people, right? Like, you're going to make better, sustain. So what God did, we are going to do. And God has made us to work. So work is good. God gives us this authority like the kings had in that day to bring order from chaos, right? To rule over, to be like God in creativity and creating beauty, giving life in our respective areas. 
So who are we? We are people made in the image of God, which means that we work. And the second implication is important as well, and it's crucial for understanding who we really are. We're going to read it here in verse 2 of chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So again, what did the original hearers understand this to mean? Well, in that day, a king, an authority, would rest once they won the battle, once everything in the land was at peace. They would rest. It was this idea of peace, of a settledness, of a security. They would rest. And so God is resting because God has created everything on purpose, with purpose, right? And then he rests. And so as people, we also rest. You say amen for all the naps you're taking. You're like, it's God ordained. Just tell your teacher, that's why you slept through class. You're like, sorry, I had to rest. It's in the Bible. All right, so I don't know why my country accent just slipped out. I'm so sorry. So it's more than just sleep, although sleep is very important. Okay, sleep affects everything. But the people are introduced to this idea of a king resting when everything was taken care of. But then later on, in the same guidelines that were given, just like don't make an image of me because you're supposed to be my image on earth, God tells them to rest. He says, one day out of every seven, don't work, but rest. You should all do that too. (laughs) One day out of seven, rest. Why would that be important? Well, it helps us to not be defined by our work, right? Because even though work is good, when we find our identity in our work, it's not good. And so when we rest, when we give up a day to rest, and we rest for the work ahead, right? We don't come in exhausted, but we rest, celebrate what God's done the week before, and then anticipate and rest for the week ahead, We are being the image of God on earth, saying, you know what? God is above all. It's not all up to me. That's a hard one for me. I'm a micromanager. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. And it's not all up to me. Sabbath is what that's called, taking a day every week. Sabbath is a way to remind us who we are, to remind us that our identity is already secure as bearers of God's image. We are made to work. We are made to rest. And lastly, we are made for community. So let's read in verse 26. Let's see. Go back to chapter 1, verse 26. 
Thank you for the mood music. <laughs> so timely. Yes. It's great. It's great. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Genesis 1 lays out this kind of big picture timeline, and then Genesis 2 is going to get more detailed. But what we find here in Genesis 1, in verses 26 and 27, is that God is community within God's self. Everybody totally understand that? Great. You can explain it to me later. So God, <laughs> we find throughout Scripture that God is three in one. God is Father, Spirit, and Son, who we know as Jesus. And we see God says, let us, it's this picture of the Trinity is what we call that, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And part of that yes was to work, right, and to rule over the earth and to make the earth what it can be. The other is to yes, rest, have being secure in our identity, being not stressed or anxious, right? Because we are at rest, because we know everything. Ephesians says that God is working out everything for the good of those who love him, and we can cling to that promise. And also that God has perfect communion within God's self, and God knows that people need other people. So I don't know if you've ever tried to do life alone, but you'll find eventually that you will not thrive in that because we are made to live in community. We are made to do this, to do the work and do the rest together with others. It's why one of our anchors is real community. And so we see that God says, let us make mankind in our own image. In the image of God, male and female, he created them. We're going to read the second account of God creating humans, and that's in chapter 2. So chapter 1 is big picture. Chapter 2 is kind of like zoomed in a little bit. And so chapter 2 says this. Let's start in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. Praise God, because I don't like our shrubs in front of our house. I wish they weren't there. Result of the fall. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, which we'll learn about next week, which is great. Uh, now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the earth. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Everybody take a deep breath. And the man became a living being. The very breath of God breathed in to this man. Everything else that God created last week that we heard about is created by God speaking. But here we see God breathes his very life into this person. Then the Lord God took the man, this is verse 15, 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it. Do you guys ever think, like, work it? <laughs> I always say that, like, anyways, moving on, work it, and take care of it. And the Lord gives some instruction about life in the garden to the man, and then in verse 18, the Lord said, this is our clue about bearing the image of God, God says, it's not good for the man to be alone, right? Don't just take my word for it. Take God's word for it. It is not good for man to be alone. Then God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So there's only one problem. This is before sin. This is before bad choices enter and consequences. But there's still a problem, and it's that man is alone. And God says, no, that is not good. So it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed all had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what the name, man would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what its name was. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So none of the animals that God created were enough for this kind of communion. None of the animals were a suitable companion. None of them were compatible. None of them met this relational need that God saw Adam have. And God saw that it wasn't good. Verse 21, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs or side and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib or side he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So God sees there's not a suitable partner and so God draws from Adam's Side. And this idea of rib isn't really, uh, doesn't really give the full picture. This, this word is really kind of like, if any of you country people have ever bought a side of beef, it's like half, right? It's not just like a little side. Like it's like half of an animal. Sorry to the people who be vegetarian. I have a son who eats vegetarian, and I'm also like, you eat vegetarian. That's not who you are, right? I'm like really, really trying to help them like know that they are image bearers of God. Um, and that is their primary identity. So, side of beef, yes. <laughs> uh, so it's not good that man's alone. So God comes and takes half, right? from the side to equate equality, to communicate equality. And we see that Eve is more than just a piece of Adam. She's half of him. And God places these halves, makes them whole himself, right? We are made whole because we are image bearers of the king, not in our relationship with other people, in our relationship with God. And we see that Adam responds and he is like, wow, <laughs> this one is like me. That's what Adam says. He says, this one is like me. So God created mankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So both males and females are created in the image of God, and we best represent God when we are together. And it's not like 
just like a marriage thing, it's like a this kind of thing, like a community thing. We're best when we are together. It is about community and it is about diversity and it is about how we best represent the image of God and that is when we are together. So how many of you ladies love the idea of being a helper? It's great. What does that even mean, Katie? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Thanks for asking. I have it in my notes right here. So this is important. Because God created man and woman both in God's image. And they are equal, right? They are already fully loved, fully known, and fully valued. There's nothing that we do that changes that. We are fully known, we are fully loved, and we are fully valued. So these words, suitable helper, come from the Hebrew, which is azar konegdo, and we're going to look at those words. I have a little, yeah, great. So konegdo is kind of the qualifier to this word as azar. And konegdo is this word that means compatible, similar, um, like an equal counterpart. Remember, no suitable helper was found. And so this means suitable helper. And then this word over here, so this is what woman is called, what Eve is called. And this azer, this word is helper, but it's not derogatory, it's not subversive. It is actually used twice here in Genesis to describe woman, but it's used, I think, 20 times in scripture and the majority of those being to describe God when God is helping in battle, when God comes to the aid of his people and they are victorious. It's this image of power. It's this image of strength. And in Psalm 121 and 122, um, maybe you know this psalm, it's where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The word there is the same, azer. Where does my azer come from? My azer comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Deuteronomy, azer is referred to as God being like a military reinforcement, okay? To help claim victory. So these two words together Talk about a helper of the same nature and corresponding character. It's this phrase like, as in front of him, like Adam's perfect match. Everything about this scripture provides harmony. And it's this beautiful, sinless relationship between a man and a woman. And it shows that we are created to do life together right? We're created to do life together, not to do life alone. And God will go on throughout scripture to define himself and to use, maybe not define himself, to use both masculine and feminine language and imagery in describing who God is and how God is. And so we see that both men and women are bearers 
of the image of God. And we are most powerful and we are most at rest and we work best when we are together in community, right? The imago Dei, the image of God, this sonship and daughtership, warrior and royalty, servant and comforter, together. You are who and what you are supposed to be. When you come into relationship with God, God will help you see that you are created in God's own image. And that is your greatest identity, and that is your greatest calling, to be a bearer of the image of God, to work, to rest, and to be in communion. There's no other title you can have. There's no relationship you can have. There's no club you can get into. You're all in, in Cal. <laughs> um, there's no greater position you can have, no amount of earthly power that you can have, that is greater than our calling to be a bearer of the image of God. Verse 25 shows us exactly what happens when creation is complete, when God is resting, and when human beings are secure in understanding who they are, that they are made on purpose by God for this great purpose to bear God's image. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. It's this picture of peace. It's this picture of vulnerability. And, you know, sometimes I think we don't let others know us, the real us, because we have shame about who we are, because we believe they'll find out who we really are and run, because they don't know X, Y, and Z. And can I encourage you in the truth tonight that the image of God is in you. You're created to bear God's image. God breathes life into you. You're created on purpose, with purpose. And you're created to know and to be known by others. A great place to start being known is core group. It's a place where you can say, hey, we're going to say this is a safe place to be who we are, to learn to study the word of God, to work out who we are, right? To work out what does being made in the image of God mean? How do I live this out? What would happen if we lived like this? What would happen if we lived being the image of God, working, resting, living in community? What would that look like? That's God's original intent. And yes, it seems crazy to think about, because you're like, Katie, but then I know what happens in chapter three, or maybe you don't, and you're gonna, like, next week. But, mine is gonna be blown. But things aren't exactly like they are when we're reading this, right? It's not as peaceful. There's strife in relationship. There's chaos, right? There's not this beautiful order. People are not all 
understanding that it is one God and that God is over all and that we are not God, right? But we are the agents of God. So can we really have this now? Don't we have to wait for eternity to recognize this, to live this way? Well, when Jesus came, Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus came to restore everything. There's going to be a lot of brokenness that we'll get to next week, but that you already know because you've experienced, right? And when Jesus comes, Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom of God. He begins restoring the earth, restoring all that's in the earth, restoring people to himself, and helping them know by telling them, you are made in the image of God, Brooke. You are made in the image of God. By telling people, by opening people's eyes to this reality of who we are and what we are meant for, And Jesus says, I'm bringing that now. And now we get to live this out in this now and not quite yet kind of way. But it can be how we live. It can be our reality as we step into working, resting, and doing it in community, and doing it all under the authority of God. And this understanding that it is God who created us, breathed life into us, created us on purpose for a great purpose. So who are you? You guys could stand. I have two questions for you to consider. If Emily will come up and play the keys. I have two questions for you to consider tonight. You know, scientists are agreed, and not just Christian Christians, or people who follow God. Scientists are agreed that for us to exist, for you to exist, There is like no chance of this happening, of you being you, of you being here. Like the chances are, I was looking up the numbers and they were bigger than I even knew numbers went. It's like one in a lot. (laughs) Very precise. God has given you life. Your life is precious. You were made on purpose. Psalm 139 says that we are made on purpose, that we are known and loved and valued by God. This is who we are. And the first question I have tonight is what would change, ask yourself this, what would change if I really believed this is who I am? What would change if I really believed that this is who I am? And the second question is, what would change if I really believed this is who my neighbor is? You can interpret neighbor in any way. Your family member, your housemate, your hallmate, your classmate. 
So what would change if I really believed this is who I am? And if I really live that out? And what would change if I knew that every person I saw is an image bearer of God, created on purpose, with purpose? So we're just going to answer those two questions. You guys can spread out. You can sit down. You can kneel. We're just going to take a couple minutes. And I just want you to ask, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to remember again? What do you want to remind me of? What would change if I really believe this is who I am? What would change if I really believe this is who my neighbor is? So just take a couple minutes. It's 9.18. Take till 9.20. Two minutes. Just ask the Lord what he might say. band can come back up. We'll do that second song to end. I think it was the second one. So what's God stirring up in you? Is it an issue of how your identity is secure? Of how you're living as an image bearer? Maybe you're just realizing that you were created on purpose. God made you on purpose for the greatest purpose, to work, to rest, and to do it alongside people, to do this life together. How loved are you? There are other creation stories from this time period, and the creation stories are of these gods, small g gods, and they are creating people to serve them. And they're creating people to, uh, the creation stories are like really wild. Um, If you've taken any mythology classes or religion classes. And none of the stories is like this one. And none of the stories is the God. Like I am giving my image to this being to be like me, 
to be in communion with me so that I can love them and so that they can love others. You're more loved than you could possibly imagine and, and God has created you to be an image bearer. So as we sing this, let's make it a declaration to God. Let's make this a declaration that says, yes, God, I believe that this is true and I'm gonna live my life as an image bearer of the King of Kings. I'm gonna work, I'm gonna rest, and I'm gonna do it in community.